0: Welcome back to another episode of Ride the Gray. You guys, today's episode is a special one. Our guest today is none other than my friend, Andrea Vallone. Get this, Andrea is on the misinformation team at Facebook, working with product and policy communications. Don't worry, she'll explain what this actually means as we get into the conversation. Prior to Facebook, Andrea was a senior account executive for corporate and public affairs at Edelman, She's been a copy editor for a newspaper and generally worked in and around all aspects of written spoken communication. Also, fun fact, despite growing up in California, Andrea lived in Hong Kong for high school before coming back to the U.S. for college. She talks about how this has changed her perspective on social media and technology. You'll also hear her unique perspectives on how Facebook manages what we now call misinformation, why it's dangerous, and how that field has evolved. Hint. It didn't really exist even five years ago. We also discuss interacting with people who have opposing views and what Facebook does to pressure test their products before going to market. Now it's worth remembering that Facebook has more than 2.7 billion active users as of the time of this recording. Just for comparison the US only has 330 million people. As you let that sink in, sit back relax and enjoy this conversation With Andrea Vallone. Welcome to Ride the Gray, a podcast about lateral thinking in which we actively seek new ways to learn about complex and dynamic systems. Thanks for listening. Let's dive right in. I think we should probably preface by saying that I know you as Ying, Mm
1: -hmm. but professionally, you go by. I go by Andrea. I, I don't know why I go by that. You don't need to explain it. Okay, but yeah. I just wanted to get it out. I just like, like a mini existential crisis when you asked me why I go by that. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Why do I go by that? You tell me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we should also say that disclaimer we have been friends literally since birth. Burr. But um, <laughs> yeah, so professionally, because that's what we're talking about today, like mm-hmm. what's your job title? Like what do you do? Like the people that l- listen to this probably don't have much of an idea of. Your world. So anything that you feel like sharing,
1: just kind of go for it. Sure. So, my job title, which I generally don't recommend people just like share because it's like, what does that mean? So, I'll do both. My job title is product and policy communications for misinformation at Facebook. And, but what does that actually mean? So, that actually means that I, um, Work with our product and policy teams and help them articulate to the public what we do on misinformation.
0: So, kind of what is misinformation like to somebody who has no idea?
1: So, misinformation is kind of what a lot of people call fake news and false news. So, generally, but it can obviously span, I think that word has evolved over the years over the last four years in particular perhaps was created four years ago um and so it can be anything from like rumors or hoaxes um people sometimes think it's just like exaggerated statements um but at facebook the way we think about it are things that like can generally be falsifiable so like not you know an opinion or not, like, yeah. Like, I think there's a range of things you can think about under this umbrella, and it's misconstrued. But the things that we're thinking about are really things that you can, like, actually falsify.
0: What's, like, a really clear example that everybody would know as, like, something that you've pointed out as
1: fake news or misinformation? Um, Pictures of, like, I don't know natural disasters or something or like when we when you know oh here's a good one there was there's this like meme or like photo that circulates like every single time there's um like a hurricane and it's like a picture of people like driving on the highway and there's like water everywhere And then there's, like, a shadow of, like, a shark. And people are like, sharks on the highway, like, hurricane in, like, X-State. And then everyone circulates it. And then it becomes this, like, whole thing that there are sharks on the highway. But obviously, like, that's false. There is no shark on the highway. So that's, like, a good example of, like, the kind of of way it can translate on Facebook and, like, the kinds of things you can see that can go viral.
0: So how do you and your team... Like, what's the process behind, Okay, this thing appears on Facebook Mm -hmm. and you have to decide, is that misinformation or should that stay up?
1: Yeah. So we work with actual professional fact checkers. So over many years, we've built up a program where we work with I think now we have like over 70 fact checking organizations. They work in over like maybe a hundred and over a hundred countries and overseas languages around the world. And they do what they do best, which is that they, um, can see a post that's circulating on Facebook or on Instagram. And then they actually do primary research. They call sources, they look at, um, like actual raw data, Um, And they do that sort of investigation, and then they submit sort of, like, a rating that says, like, this is false. Um, And you can think about them as, like, when you think about uh, any news source that you read or even, like, broadcast journalism, like, they go through, like, a fact-checking process before they publish a story. So it's those kinds of people. So they're, like, actual professional fact-checkers, and they don't actually work at Facebook. So they can kind of do whatever they want. Like, so they decide kind of what the ratings on things are and 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 how they rate them.
0: How, I guess, like, how has this position evolved? Because I imagine that when Facebook was first created, this position that you have wasn't necessarily a thing. It mm-hmm. evolved out of a need, probably, um, as this landscape transformed. Um, is this, like, you know, can you guys pinpoint a place where this job became necessary or do you think that um or was this something that was there from the beginning
1: yeah i mean i think we can all probably pinpoint when a lot of this stuff reached a crescendo i think probably around 2016 um when the concept of misinformation on social media really kind of blossomed even as like a like an academic space um but the notion of, like, rumors and, like, fake claims have, like, always appeared, you know, like, since the first, like, printing press. Like, you can look at newspaper articles from, like, forever ago that say, like, woman, like, man survives, like, 65-foot jump or something and has, like, a crazy image, you know? And, like, at the time, like, you just read the newspaper and you're like, that's probably true. Um, But there's that concept of, like, exaggeration and etc um and I think like when people started to align that there are certain forms of that that are like specifically false um we sort of were, were riding along that wave as well so I guess you know like pretend I am
0: somebody who knows nothing about this which for the most part I really don't um, <laughs> and you deal with this stuff all the day so all the time all day um, <laughs> that's what I meant to say it's in a long day I know it's all
1: yeah um, all the
0: day all the day <laughs> but i think uh, my question is generally speaking like why is your job necessary and why is it important for misinformation to be separated from just a, somebody's opinion
1: yeah um it's a good question and actually like not one that i've ever really been asked the way we think about it is we have like since the beginning of facebook um, and, and and most platforms have this. Um, you have like a set of policies which are like shit that you like take off the platform no matter what. Like graphic violence, like suicide and self-injury, like hate speech. Um, those kinds of things. You're just like there's no place for that. And you like remove them and take them down. So that's definitely what we do. Um, and then obviously like. Four or five years ago, we started realizing, well, not we started realizing, we had always kind of like had signals to tell us like when something was maybe not the best quality. So like clickbaity, spammy things, engagement baity things. And on Facebook, like you have a newsfeed and you're and the news feed takes in like thousands and thousands of signals. Um, and we have the ability have the ability to like rank things that you see. So like I'm sure if you like open your Facebook today, like what you'll see is you'll see like photos and posts from your friends and family. And then you might see like an article from like, uh, if you follow the New York Times, like something from there. Um, Or like if you like panda videos, you'll see some panda videos. (laughs) Um, And what we try to do is we've always tried to put, you know, some of that like crappy or stuff that's like bad experiences at the bottom. Um, So you don't really have to see it. Um, And then I think when you think about misinformation, that's something that we think it's valuable for some of the more like viral hoaxes and rumors to if they can be if they can be connected with a fact checker. um, Those are the kinds of claims that you see, not just on Facebook, like it would be kind of naive, I guess, to think that like a claim, like a false claim only lives in a vacuum on facebook like when you think about these like viral hoaxes and stuff like they're like on every other social media platform they're on like the internet writ large and they can show up in like broadcast journalism so one of the things that i think we find important is that like if something can be like verified as false um you actually get that information and you get you get to see like, Hey, this has been rated false by fact checkers. Here's why it's false. Um, and that can be helpful. And it's like a something in, in your toolbox when you like have conversations with friends and family. Um, but it's a good question because I think like it's, it's hard, you know, we want people to be able to express themselves and, and we want to give people a voice. I think like, when you think about like the rights of democracy, it's like freedom of assembly and freedom of speech. And those are two things that you really get on Facebook, right? Like you can unite with others like you um, and you can like speak your mind. um, And like, it gives people a voice in places sometimes where there isn't a democracy. Um, And so, yeah, it's a fine line for us and it's hard to decide, but I think at the end of the day, like, I think if something can be verified as false it's good to connect people with with the correct information when you can i, I think that's really incredibly well said
0: what one something that you mentioned that i think is really interesting right is that facebook and not just facebook but all social media has done something really incredible which is it it brings together people that have Maybe not the opportunity to converse um, because they live across the world from each other or, you know, here where we live is an incredibly insular bubble Mm -hmm. of people who are very homogenous in the way that they think. Right. Yeah. And so through Facebook or other social media platforms, you actually might connect to people with very different opinions and um, it could actually allow for some discourse um, to occur where different opinions are shared and that could be a really great thing you know so like let's you know go on the other side of the spectrum which is sometimes like you know two people with very opposing opinions on something and uh, being able to share them freely has allowed for some melding of views and some opening of perspective where it wouldn't have otherwise occurred so you know there's that um and I guess this kind of goes back to this is a very circular way of me saying that our last episode was about dissent and the importance Mm -hmm. of in a society having a different opinion once in a while and having somebody to purposely poke holes in uh, an argument, right, for the sake of you having to defend yourself um, or come up with valid arguments. Yeah. Like, what do you guys talk about at Facebook or other social media platforms in terms of your role in molding that environment? Do you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um that's a good question. I think like what you said earlier is like this concept I know people there is like a narrative out there that Facebook sort of like in in created echo chambers and filter bubbles. And I think like what you said is interesting because like when I think about life before I had a social media account. And I think about, like, my parents' lives, it was like, okay, you live in your uh, off-Stanford housing, and you read your Palo Alto daily news, and you talk to your fellow PhD researcher at the psych lab, and then you're also married to this person that does the same job, (laughs) and then, like you talk to your kids who all go to the same school Mm -hmm. which is the same school as your neighbors Mm -hmm. and then like you all go to whole foods
0: and like that like (laughs)
1: very key last bit yeah like super key super key um and it's the 90s and everyone goes to whole foods apparently (laughs) um so i think like i think uh when you think about social media it's like this concept of like strong ties weak ties and there's all this research out there obviously that like oh like you'll know your strong ties, et cetera. But like sometimes your weak ties can be more valuable. I think in the Facebook sense, like if if it didn't if social media didn't exist, like you would be in that cycle that I just mentioned, like forever in an infinite loop. And you probably wouldn't interact with people that you know felt differently about things. Um but, you know, sometimes on Facebook it's like my mom's like, oh let me add my old friend from high school and like, oh wow, like she really cares about, you know, yoga. That's great. I don't but like you know my mom has no exposure to like a yoga person or yogi I guess is what they're called um so yes I think that's an interesting thing that we think about a lot which is that like you know obviously this can be a great thing and I think like but obviously it can also be you know a harmful and hurtful thing and I think there's a lot of research about how you know you have like these mob mentalities and people who can't even like see common ground Um, online um, and I do think that is the case but I I don't I personally don't know if like a nicer world in a vacuum is the is the alternate more progressive avenue than like one that is like uglier but like uh, kind of open for scrutiny Um, so that's I guess how I think about when I think about, like, the general, like, historical role that we've played. Obviously, I mentioned that, like, I am part of, like, the misinformation team, um, and I kind of write along from ground zero on, like, developing an idea or a concept of, like, a feature we want to launch or a policy that we think we should have. Um, But it's not just me like we basically have like when you have an idea that you want to present you basically have to go in front of a firing squad of like a bunch of people from a bunch of different disciplines or even other people in your discipline and you're like why are you doing this to me and we're all asking you like did you think of this what about this like how are you like like controlling for this or like how have you thought about this and like what are your big trade offs and like what do you think the risks are like what do you think the benefit is and. All that stuff, and so it's kind of like defending your thesis anytime you want to do anything, so there's a lot of like we have a pretty like uh thorough review protocol I think that gets people's perspectives from across the board wait wait this is i mean this is
0: fascinating <laughs> yeah. so. One, it sounds like you have a story of yourself having been either in front of this or okay. So, hold on. I want to, I want to like actually, yeah, like take a second. Sure. So, you are part of the misinformation in larger communications team.
1: Um, I would say I'm on the misinformation team, but my function is communications. So there are many other people on the misinformation team and they have other functions, like they can be product designers, they can be copywriters, they can be UX researchers, they can be product policy, public policy, partnerships, like engineers, data scientists. So all of those people have a say in an idea or concept. And so you can imagine people are like, "Why do you guys like take so long to innovate?" And we're like, "Well, because everything is being litigated like so much because we're extremely democratic, um which has obviously, you know, democracies don't move as fast." But no, it's, it's super interesting, right? Cuz so uh, we we talk a lot
0: about lateral thinking. Yeah. This is literally the purpose of this podcast, yeah. right? And so it sounds like, you know, part of the way to increase lateral thinking and creativity is by having people from very different backgrounds come and poke holes or talk to you about what they do and how it relates to the larger picture. And yes, while it maybe makes for a less agile (laughs) um, team in the moment, it probably makes for a more bulletproof product long-term, which is exactly why you do it. That's sort of like a red team, right? Yeah. The concept of red team. So like, okay, like paint a picture for like, what like you walk into a room and you are with like, the rest of your team or is it typically just you and you are like is it like they're going around a circle asking you questions like how does that typically
1: work yeah I'm trying to think of a good um a good example um I think here's one I don't know if it's like too niche but so we have strong um like warning overlay screens on things that are false right and you you see it and you're like, that makes sense. And like, cause most like successful designs are said to be those that are like the most intuitive that you don't even know that they're there. So like that screen took like many, many, <laughs> many months and years, I would say to develop. So I will, I guess I will tell the story in two parts. So the first part is just like immediate. So like an example of like, so let's say that you are the designer and you've said like, here's how I think we should design this version of the screen. Um, It's going to be black and the letter, like the copy is going to be in white and the icon is going to be a triangle with an exclamation point. And like this, the words are going to be, there's going to be eight words. Um, And then everyone else is like, well, why black? like, should it be grayscale to, like, 80% transparency? Like, do we want people to at least, like, see a little bit of the thing underneath it so they don't think it's, like, something worse? And, like, for our graphic warning screens, like, that's fully black, and that's something that, like, you know, should definitely be fully black because we don't want you to see it at all. But, like, for a picture of a shark on a highway like does that really need to be fully black and like does that actually encourage people to like look into it more because Mm -hmm. they're like this thing is totally like i can't see it at all um and then it's like the icon like a triangle seems like pretty alarming like should it be a circle um and like should the font be like lighter gray like white and black seems like a pretty big um binary and you're just like okay and then it's like 2 p.m on a monday and you're like okay great (laughs) um and that goes on forever so that's kind of you know and and that's just like the design right and then like the poor content strategist person is like okay i think the words that we should say are this is false or something and Mm -hmm. everyone's like well should we say like this has been rated false like should we add a period like is that too much space and like how do we think about like pixel translations. And like, how will this show up on like your phone and then your desktop? How will this show up on a video versus a story versus a whatever? And like, it just, there's so many ways to think about it, I think. Um, And we go through all of that and it's, it's pretty painful, but it's, it's a good process because what it shows you is that like, basically no decisions are easy. Um, There's always going to be trade-offs and you just have to really commit to the trade-offs that you choose um because you're just not going to make everyone happy um so there's always going to be like a percentage of people that that it doesn't work for so that's like kind of example of like so no that's that's perfect (laughs) my
0: question is one if you are the person who's receiving all of this like yeah input and you're like trying to defend yourself right like what are the character traits or the approach that make it easier to deal with versus less easy to deal with when that person's coming at you hot um and i'll i'll let you answer and then i'll come back around because um when we talk about what makes a good dissenter or mm-hmm. a good devil's advocate there's like one trait that people say mm-hmm. makes it much easier to deal with the devil's advocate versus not what what would make you more um amenable to what they were suggesting
1: yeah it's a good question i think like part of it is that i think part of it is learned part of it is like obviously like ingrained i think the part that's learned is that like at the company we basically have this notion that like feedback is a gift you're always told it's a gift So I was actually shocked because sometimes like I've been in meetings and afterwards someone will be like, hey, like, just want to give you quick feedback, like the way that you said this thing in this meeting, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, wow, that's a lot of information. But like, actually, okay, great. Like now I will never do that again. Um, And it just happens really quickly, et cetera. Um, So I think like that priming and like learned priming it internally at the company has been helpful Mm -hmm. because like you're kind of like there's always like assumption of like, That best intent, or like at least that, like, you're in doing it in the pursuit of like a launch. Um, but I would say, like, I guess when I'm in those scenarios, I think the way that I would receive it best is I I mean, it's honestly about tone and it's about, I think, trusting. It's kind of what I said the first time. It's like, it's trusting that the person has good intent and you're on the same team. Um, cause I think like the minute that you decide that they are like the other or they're like attacking you or that you have like misaligned goals. Um, that's when there's no common ground. Cause you're like, well, you're just saying that because you're achieving X, Y, Z goal, or you're saying that because you don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that that's like not a progressive way to receive it. So I think like, once you get in the room, like, signing up and everyone committing, and, like, that gives, goes for the people, person giving the feedback, too. Like, mm-hmm. I've been in meetings where I'm like, was your voice necessary for the last three right. minutes? Like, probably not. So I think, like, both people have to sign a contract, which is, like, what I'm going to say will add value to you, and I'm sure that you haven't thought of it yet, or I'm sure that, like, I'm interested in your answer and your trade off, and I will accept what you're reasoning it or i will give you there will be an option to accept the reasoning that you give me um even if i like go into it with a hypothesis of what i think it should be um but if you don't have that shared like everyone signed contract kind of thing like that's when it can get quite messy
0: yeah it's interesting because i do think that dissent or being a devil's advocate can go too far right it either makes you less agile to the point where like it's paralysis by analysis Or like sometimes even in like the very nascent phases of um, design or brainstorming, right? Mm -hmm. When you're just like trying to iterate and come up with ideas, like when people are like shooting them down and being like, no, like we can't do it that way because blah, 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 like that's not conducive to creativity as well. So I feel like there's this very fine balance between doing um, dissent or whatever you want to call it right. And it sounds like Facebook has kind of proceduralized it. Like it's definitely like part of your culture. Like it's not just somebody being like, Hey, could you give me some feedback on this? Like this is like a a thing you do. Yeah. Like, is this done for every product and launch or like, where do you decide where this needs to go through the firing squad versus
1: now you can just go ahead and do it. Um, I mean, I've only worked on some of our like integrity stuff. So it definitely happens on our set on our side for most things. Um and so I mean like and conversations sometimes there's not a meeting. Sometimes it's just like a post and everyone's like cool, fine with it, whatever. So like it does happen for anything. Um but it ranges. Like not all of them are like 12 angry men. Um <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting.
0: That's I I personally think that's really interesting. I mean, I would assume that would be like that at a uh, yeah. an, an organization, you know, obviously we work in a very different, mm-hmm. um, type of organization, the way it functions. Um, we don't have something like that. That's, right. you know, it's sort of your, you go by your best and your best intentions and your best, right. um, you know, research and all that. But like at the end of the day, there's not really anyone to check you like or yeah. poke holes at what you're doing. Um, sometimes, you know, somebody will be like, Whoa, why did you pick, Front squat versus back squat. Right. And, like, you should know why. Right. Um, but by and large, it's not. And I feel like sometimes it can lead to you getting really comfortable. Yeah. Um So I, while it's maybe a burden. Right. Occasionally, like, I feel like it could also be a
1: really good thing. Um, I wonder if it's, like, when you're... It's kind of, like, the way we use it is, like, in pursuit of building something. And, obviously, we're building something for, you know, two point, over 2.5 billion users, which is, like, larger than any country um (laughs) but but it's like I I don't know why I'm thinking of like um like cross training like sometimes like when you're trying to become like the best athlete you can be and like you're thinking about I mean I just because I did this in college it's like thinking about like other other sports or other ways to train that might in a vertical line be in pursuit of like a very specific sport but Mm -hmm. like doesn't mean you shouldn't use it and like then also there's like I don't know why I'm thinking of like bringing it on where like their routine was like using like salsa and like I swing dance and like all the stuff, and it was like you know if you're if you're going to- like building something in pursuit of a larger goal, like why not get like input and like inspiration from like other like related disciplines so
0: that's like one of my this is where i nerd out okay so (laughs) it's like where professionals have taken things from other industries and brought them in and it's made them like take off right totally. so for example, Steve Jobs, like mm-hmm. it, the, the infamous or famous story I don't even know at this point, <laughs> where he took calligraphy in college and went and studied from monks in wherever the Himalayas, and <laughs> yeah. then he brought that sort of design mind back to design right. in apple, right, or like the Wright brothers studied the wings of birds, mm-hmm. and that's how they came up with their final design, like right. But, they were bike makers. They everybody else was trying to make planes the way they made bikes. And they were like, right. no, like birds fly. We're going to use birds to right. help us. Right. So, like, do you like have that at Facebook? Like, do you I, it already sounds like you do because you have so many different um, parts of the company working together before a product yeah. is launched. But do you see
1: that anywhere else? Um. Yeah, I think like. I mean, it's, uh, it's less like obvious like that, like birds to plane, (laughs) but like, like there is, I mean, a lot of what we do is UX research. So even after we launch something, we or I know this is an example of something we did like before launch. So like, there are like, obviously there's a lot of discussion around like informed vaccine communities online um and this is something that we did a year ago so so you know a year before covid um but you know we were trying to launch sort of like a label on groups that discussed vaccines um and you know we worked with uh the WHO and like other health experts um and we were like okay this is what it should say. And we were like, vaccines are universally accepted as like a safe and secure cure or like a way to protect your family or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was like, definitely said vaccines are universally accepted. We were like, we're all just like, great, great. This looks great. Cool. Um, and then we like gave it to focus groups and we were, when we were looking at focus groups, we were like, okay, let's take people who are pro vaccines people who are vaccine hesitant or vaccine like indifferent like they, they don't know they don't have an opinion yet and like anti-vaxxers um and like all of them basically disliked this language and we were like literally how like that's a true fact vaccines are universally accepted and you know the people that we were actually solving for we weren't solving for the pro-vaxxers because we're like yeah, like you guys mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. like it's fine. We're solving for like the vaccine hesitant people. Mm-hmm. Um and to some degree we're trying to we're trying to at least address and hear people who are against vaccines, but there's a lot of research showing that like you know, people who are anti-vax like rarely pivot. So like you should solve for the population that is more vulnerable, which are people who actually don't know that you don't that you want to help guide toward this stuff. And those people were like, "Hey, like That's really condescending. Like, I don't know that vaccines are universally accepted Mm. because I don't know anything about vaccines. And like, I'm a pregnant mom and I didn't know. And so now I'm kind of like, that's annoying. Um, Obviously, the anti-vaxxers were like, okay, well, now like Facebook is working in the government conspiracy for like vaccines. And like now we don't trust like vaccines even more. And we were like, oh, crap, that's really bad. Um, And so that was like really good feedback for us to have when we were thinking about different sentence i mean it took us months to form like i'm telling you like a sentence um and where we ended up was you know it was a statement that like established common ground and it was like everyone wants their family to be safe everyone wants to keep their friends and family safe or something um if you want to learn more about vaccines, like go to X, Y, Z, and then we've them to the CDC or the WHO or the local ministry of health um, in whatever country you're accessing it from. And that took kind of a lot to figure out like, okay, this is where we ended up. And it also involved like deciding like what our trade-offs were going to be like, are we going to choose not to solve for people who are anti-vax? Like, okay. So in those like, you know, firing squad thesis defense meetings. We, when people are saying like, okay, well, won't this like alienate anti-vaxxers? And we're just like, yeah, that's the trade-off. Like, we want to go after this these people because we want these people to be more informed because the anti-vaxxers are probably informed of the reason why they don't want to do this thing, Um and we actually don't need to move the needle on pro-vaxxers. So that's kind of an example of of. No, of that that's that
0: that's so perfect because I imagine that it was probably surprising to you guys when you got that feedback from your focus group. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, like we're all susceptible to, um, you know, confirmation bias, right? Right. Like we, yes. While Facebook is a very diverse company and you pride yourself on that, you're still at the end of the day, very highly educated, tend to be probably younger professionals, you know, who are hip and up to date and like, working in technology in yeah. silicon valley right like right. by and large that's the majority of your company so like already you are a very small subset and um you like susceptible to biases just like the rest of us right totally. like i probably would have you know reacted differently to that language than even you and like we're from very similar types of background so that's just it it just shows you like yeah. by One, opening yourself up to feedback and critique, you learn something every single time, whether or not you end up using it or not. Like, you're like, oh, I hadn't even considered that they wouldn't have even, they would have been offended because we assumed that they knew about this. Totally. Like, that's not even something I would have even.
1: Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of stuff is interesting. I also think like it works kind of in the opposite direction like obviously like i work a lot with press and like like the obvious thing is i mean a lot of people would say that like everyone is kind of like just like remove misinformation just like do it just take it off the platform and like my discipline would probably be like yes let's do that because people like will like the press will appreciate us more if we just say that we're doing it um and like do it. But, you know, we have to play devil's advocate with like the majority of people that we see and read um and our friends and family because, you know, we actually like dive deep and we're like, okay, like what would it mean if we like removed everything on Facebook that was false? Mm-hmm. That means that we have to have a policy that says everything you post on Facebook has to be true. And like Anyone who like thinks about that is like, oh, that doesn't make sense. But that is like the equal half of what you're saying when you say remove misinformation. Um, And so like because you can't scale that, like think about something that's like false, like a false thing is like a tomato is a vegetable. Like my child died from a vaccine. And, like, I don't know, Trump had the most amount of people at his inauguration than anyone else ever. Um, those are, like, three very, very different types of claims. Like, the first one is, like, it's not a vegetable. It's, like, a fruit, but also maybe a vegetable um, combined. I don't actually remember. Um, <laughs> I'm obviously not a fact Um, <laughs> But, like, what should we do with that? Like, should we remove you posting on your facebook that that is the case like Is that that hurting
0: anyone is that really damaging yeah
1: like what are you talking about and then it's like a mom sharing a story that her child died from vaccines and then saying vaccines is dangerous like is that untrue like like that person that tragedy happened to that person and they're explaining what like happened to them and then are saying vaccines are dangerous and like you might be saying like vaccines are not dangerous, that's factually incorrect. And it's like, well, they were dangerous to her in that context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you go about mm. um deciding that? And so then you're then you all agree like, okay, clearly there are degrees of falsehoods. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, are we gonna decide that there are like kinds of false things that you can say? And then it just kind of like snowballs from there. And then you think about like how we're a global company and it's not we're not just talking about um like the people who we all are friends with and see all the time like we're talking about people in many different countries around the world and how they interact with this stuff so um and who are we to make policy like you or yeah it's making it's, policy that's going to affect people beyond the you can even see totally and i think that's one of the things that like you know we we call on a lot is like you know we we don't want to be making these decisions obviously in an ideal world we would have there would be some sort of universal source of truth on everything and then that could then dictate what we're doing but right now we're working with backtrackers at like a content level to work through this stuff um until like there's some universally agreed authority that says like <laughs> this is always false right it's really hard to make those decisions um i mean if you think about something like COVID, even like a lot of people are concerned that there's a lot of misinformation out there and it you know is facebook's fault or social media's fault and it's kind of like all you have to do is watch like one broadcast news segment and realize like there like a lot of people are confused like think about like masks Like, how did we know what was ground truth about masks? And was that something that, you know, was caused online? Or was that because, like, we didn't know the science yet? And so I think, like, in the fog of, like, real-time things developing, that's when you get a lot of criticism. But if you actually think sort of, if you have the space to think, you know, more academically, which is unfortunate because I think people interact with with the platform in an emotional way so like in a in a more like s- rational scaled way you're like well how would we know the truth about masks unless someone told us that truth and then like how do we then turn that in in action on stuff on the platform so yeah that's so it's just so fascinating cuz it's like i'm sure
0: you would all love to do firing squad type exercises for a lot of things yeah. but You are on the forefront, the literal like pioneers of a field and a part of our society that is evolving day by day. And you're having to make quick, very, very uh, important, like going to affect millions and millions of people decisions quickly. So it's like, where do you like find that balance, you know, between making quick decisions, but having... It checked right. on the back end internally, okay, is this what we want to do? Are we all on the same page? Okay, go.
1: Right. I think like when you think about the potential damage for false negatives or like false positives, like it can go either way. And yeah, it's it's very hard to figure out that balance of like making sure people are protected and safe and not causing harm, but also making sure that you're not taking away anyone's voice.
0: Mm amazing I like (laughs) it's just so different from what we do and that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you is because like already just like I feel like this kind of conversation just forces you and me and everyone to think in just like a slightly different way about how they engage with social media which is something that we all do totally all do so um this is a question that's Sort of something we already talked about, but more yeah. personal to like you, Yang, okay, I'm Andrea.
1: Great. Yes,
0: so you think probably all day every day about your job. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's like all consuming and like you're always reading the news and you're always staying up to date all the day, like, all the day. <laughs> so I'm sure that can be one overwhelming, it's overwhelming to all of us, and we don't do that all day for our job. <laughs> yeah. Um, two just can be like you you get into the, these patterns and circles like I, like I know like I get into ruts where I'm just like spinning my tires and I'm like totally. I just need to go and remove myself and so like we've my co-host Travis and I have talked about like what activities do people do in their lives that is lateral thinking for them in the sense that it injects creativity or other <laughs> outlets right like for me it's photography or it's um cooking like i i find new and creative ideas and outlets in very different domains mm-hmm. what would that be for you do you have anything like that
1: so you're asking like do i have any like hobbies or skills or like uh-huh. what do you
0: like <laughs> is there like a hard no. yeah, like do you like uh-huh. nerd, do you nerd out on something that's like so not your job
1: um <laughs> oh. I feel like I. Do I? I don't know. Is it lame to say that like I read a lot of fiction?
0: No, which no, is like, it's not
1: lame at all. It's like super escapist and like, it's definitely like a pacifier for me. But I think like what helps me is when I learn about people in like imaginary worlds or in like very long time ago worlds um like how they interact with people and emotions um and information in like this like parallel universe where the company I work for doesn't exist um (laughs) and then like kind of from that thinking about like just having a better understanding for like universal truths of like the human condition mm, yeah um because like those can be extrapolated in any context and so like i definitely am very escapist um and also like i obviously grew up, not obviously i don't know why it would be obvious to anyone here but um i the reason you and i were separated so prematurely was because i moved to hong kong and i I don't know that like Hong Kong really gives me like a safe space in my job because it's like literally in political turmoil right now and has like huge disinformation campaigns but I obviously like I have an interest in um Chinese culture and I take Chinese still um and thinking about even like linguistics of like how the Chinese language is structured because that's like how people think about things like how like Chinese people would think about um something or like an idea um and then how they translate it because um Chinese or mandarin uh is like a logographic language so it's not built on an al- alphabet it's basically just like pictures of things mm. and so it's like how are they building each picture and like what radicals which is like what you call like a tiny a smaller unit of a character are put into the picture that means whatever so like like, for example, there is a word for mouth, which is ko, and there's a word for person, which is ren, and then you can have them together, ren ko, and that means population, because mm. it's, like, mouths to feed. Yeah. Which is, like, just an interesting way of thinking about, it's like, like, how, yeah. It, it's
0: really interesting in that, the, like, language forms thought, yeah, right, in, like, the way that your brain actually thinks is so dependent on the actual words and structure and rules of your language that you speak and so like the way that a uh, somebody who speaks Chinese was raised to think about things could be totally different from an American speaking person totally simply because the actual physical characters and the way that it's structured is different
1: yeah I mean I get that with my mom all the time I'm like what is the thought process that just happened in your head (laughs) well i don't want to take up any more of your time i think
0: this was like one of the coolest conversations
1: i've ever
0: like had um and i'm sure that i hope that the listeners would agree um or at least learn something um because i think it's kind of a black box so it's just interesting to kind of get a little look under the curtain yeah I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andrea, or Ying. She's been an incredible friend, and I'm absolutely honored that she was willing to come on and discuss her role within a company that's truly defining our generation. As always, if you loved or hated anything from this episode, let us know. You can find us at Ride the grey gray with an E, at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts. As always, find a way to ride the gray.